everyone. This is Natasha Sinha. I'm the Associate Artistic Director here at Playwrights Horizons. Thank you for listening to this in-process interview with Will Arbery, the playwright of the world premiere production coming up on our main stage, Corsicana. So folks may know you from your other plays and particularly perhaps Heroes of the Fourth Turning, which premiered here at Playwrights in 2019. Can you talk about what it felt like to write this play that is that just is doing a very different thing and maybe why you needed to write it. Hmm. Yeah, you know, Heroes was a play that was sort of, I, I, I knew what I was getting into to a degree <laughs> because I mean, there was a lot that I couldn't have predicted, but I knew that the whole way that it was designed was was inherently provocative and, and also just the way that it was written. Um, even independent of the fact that it was about five conservatives with no, you know, liberal <laughs> voice making it easier, safer for the New York audience, um, even independent of that provocation, it was also just on a character level, it wasn't a pleasant ride. <laughs> you know? Like right. it just, <laughs> as a person who, you know, cares very deeply about the characters that I write about and really tries to get their brains and hearts and and just as someone who yeah just loves them um mm -hmm. I was very aware of how much pain they were all in by the end of that play and so it was just um <laughs> it was hard for me at times to know that I was bumming everybody out you know that, like, <laughs> it was just unpleasant you know like it, I also knew that like I was agitating them politically or theologically or you know all sorts of things but but even just, yeah, the pain yeah. was difficult for me. It felt challenging to watch, but like in a way that I hadn't really experienced before. So like to go through a whole sustained ride and a whole gesture towards that was was huge. But I, I think about that a lot while we're working on this one, because I only had the experience of watching that one. And now I'm here at Playwrights Horizons for Corsicana and think about these characters so deeply. And I guess I think about how these characters live for you in context of heroes and maybe your other plays um, because they feel it feels like a, a different sort of thing that you're you're doing and centering and unspooling yeah it is and the, you know there are also a lot of similarities i mean it's like four very mm -hmm. um intelligent people in a small town mm -hmm. in america where you you wouldn't necessarily expect to hear people talking about the things that they're talking about or dealing with the things they're dealing with they're also all, all four characters are, you know, practicing Christians, just like mm -hmm. in Heroes. The play is really, I, I think, first and foremost, just on a superficial level defined by the fact that one of the main characters is a woman with Down syndrome. And the play sort of kicks off with her saying, admitting to her brother that she's experiencing a sadness that she's never experienced before and that she needs his help you know, dealing with that. And that, that's hard for her because she doesn't like asking for help. You know, I think in the past I've, I've described this play as gentle, but I wouldn't really do that anymore now, especially mm -hmm. having been in rehearsals for it. But I would describe it as delicate, especially because everyone in the play, but especially Jenny and Lot, mm -hmm. care very deeply and very specifically about the words that they choose to say and the words that other people say to them and so there's a sort of like a tripwire feeling to this play like words aren't just like pouring out of people in the same way that they were in heroes you know heroes mm -hmm. was like fueled by 
alcohols and drugs and also just like this like passion and belief this ideology that's just swirling around and creating this like flow of language mm-hmm. um in this play there's a lot of people correcting each other there's a lot of people asking each other not to use a certain word and there's a there's a lot of stopping and starting and also I think the movement of the play is honestly you know it it's a little bit more hopeful than heroes maybe (laughs) maybe maybe a lot more hopeful but I think Mm -hmm. that there's also a lot of (laughs) there is a lot of pain and a lot of discomfort inside of it hopefully it doesn't feel um easy it's pretty hard one it's a pretty hard one hope yeah I think part of what my play is exploring is again like it's language and and the words that we choose to use and I think one of the things that my play is offering is that the way that a person uses language is inherently whether it's conscious or unconscious and in most cases it's pretty unconscious but I think it's inherently artistic to a certain degree it's like a fingerprint it's like it's like somewhere between DNA and hyper-intentional art because it's this thing that we have to do every day. It's um, something that is created. I mean, we're given language, we're given vocabulary, we learn it, but we then can choose how we put our sentences together and how we communicate with Mm -hmm. people. So um, that I think is much more what this play is about. And that's something that I've only, Mm -hmm. you know, really started to realize through doing it, but, um, but yeah. Yeah, I love that idea of a fingerprint um, and sort of imprinting ourselves on what, what we're doing, how we're existing in the world. This idea of everyone having this fingerprint, everyone having a thing to put forward um, and honoring that sort of interdependence. It's just, you talk about circles a lot with this play and that really reverberates my mind when I'm thinking about, yeah, I don't know if there's something about circles that feels like really reflective of the sort of shapes I think of when I think of this play. Yeah, it's been a major thing. And there's there's a lot of language in the play about circles and it's it's reflected in the design. I, I think basically I realized that this play was essentially a cycle of of gift giving. I started to get really interested in what it would be like to write a play that, you know, it wasn't about an escalation of conflict with like a clear you know, this is the problem and here are all the ways it gets harder and harder until it's either solved or not. But instead, uh, like in life, people have multiple problems that they're working through at once, you know, and, and these things are all happening sort of like concurrently in parallel and they're informing each other, but it's, it's just not that clear line that we so often see in dramatic structure that, you know, the way that we're taught. And, you know, I just really had this feeling that like it could still be really theatrically satisfying and theatrically compelling to see a cycle of gift giving instead, you know, where someone comes into a scene with a problem and then they're given a gift maybe from Mm -hmm. an unexpected person or an unexpected place. And then they sort of have something that they're able to give to someone else. Mm -hmm. And it's not like they're giving the same thing. It's just that receiving that, whether they acknowledge it or realize it or not, it creates space for them to give something to someone else. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's not like clearly mapped out for me, but it feels 
intuitively like that's what's happening in this play and uh mm -hmm. and yeah it's actually like a really weird position to be in as a playwright because I, I have no idea if that uh works you know like I don't <laughs> we're taught we're taught a formula you know like it's you know we're basically taught that kindness is is boring and I guess I guess this play is proposing that it's not <laughs> I love <laughs> that like I mean I think this play absolutely does work in that way because it feels like there's a momentum that starts from like I remember someone talking about it one time like swinging something into the air and creating a circle just continues on because of the force from that center and it just sort of builds around that and that feels like what's happening in this play yeah. and yeah. it does continue it, the energy is there it doesn't need yeah. the conflict and all of that yeah so there, there's you know when, when people see a play they never see the what's it called the epigraph <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> I, I went to Kenyon College and was taught by this writer named Lewis Hyde, who writes these amazing books. But one of his most well-known books is called The Gift. And it's about a lot of things, but but particularly about getting into a lot of like societies that are structured around gift giving. And he's mm -hmm. also um, getting into the ways that creativity is sor sort of uh, reliant on a similar sort of economy but this anyway it's a brilliant book mm -hmm. that everybody should read but i have as the epigraph um a quote from it which is i made my own like deletions inside of it but uh when you give a gift there is momentum and the weight shifts from body to body the gift moves in a circle the gift leaves all boundary and circles into mystery um mm -hmm. and that you know mm -hmm. I think that kind of yeah, sums it up. <laughs> that's gorgeous. And that's such a great argument for a different way of being, a different energy that totally still works. And, you know, there's something about watching these four characters bring in what they need and then answer it in this way that it's the it's the type of theater that imagines forward, like what our world could look like. And that obviously feels dramatically relevant these days, but I think it always would have been um, because of just having alternate ways of existing that are kinder, <laughs> that allow for more people to experience kindness. Um, and that's, that's huge. So you asked if it worked and I'm just like, it works well. <laughs> that's not a question. Even hearing you like reflect that language back to me about whether it works or not is like a reminder that a huge part of, I think, like how I designed this play in both like conscious and unconscious ways was to release myself from that pressure of whether something works or doesn't and to trust a little bit more and surrender a little bit more you know that's not to say that i'm not doing revisions and being rigorous because i, I do think that the language again because it's so much about how precision of language matters i'm trying to take care of my play in that way but there's like something else sort of happening here both in terms of who the characters are who the actors are but also the designers the composer and just how the process has been structured that's like you know forcing me to to not be like here is this airtight machine that i've built and like you can either get on board or not and like it's, it's just it's just uh it's just a totally different offering um so yeah and it's also it feels and it has, <laughs> yes 
Yeah. Yeah. Has there been in in the like, what's it been like in the room? Um, has there been anything surprising about the process after like finally <laughs> getting to be in the room with the whole team? I mean, so much that's been surprising, but um, you know, it's funny because like to to my knowledge, it's the the biggest role that's like ever been written in a new play for a performer with Down syndrome. And uh -huh. so it's it's simultaneously, I mean, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I'm just going based off of like my own knowledge I, of the American yeah. theater and like what I've seen and and mostly what I haven't, haven't ever encountered. It, it's complicated, everything about this play. Like you could say one thing about it and then there's like this <laughs> little sneaky complication that, that, that comes in, but, um, you know, we say all that about trust and surrender and like taking care of ourselves and all of that is very real and the way that Sam Gold, the director, has structured the process is very much embracing that, but it's also really challenging and really rigorous and what Jamie Brewer, who plays Ginny, is doing in this play is like, I, I think it's fucking, I'm sorry, <laughs> I, I just think it's like, it's astonishing, like she is completely breaking new ground with this because the play is not pulling any punches in terms of content but also in terms of the precision of the lines and it, it was sort of this tricky thing of like because of how we think about down syndrome and neurodivergence in general how we how we talk about it as a society or don't talk about it mostly it's like you know we we, we try to make things easier we play it safe and in this case I was like no I'm just gonna write this play um, and write this character who's based on my sister and my sister's friends. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna write the play exactly as I want it to be, you know? And then, mm -hmm. and then that is the invitation to whoever plays this role. And Jamie Brewer has stepped into it with like an incredible amount of artistry and precision. Mm -hmm. She's an actor who has made me feel like I was just talking about this on the train with Sam, like she makes me feel really respected as a playwright because of mm. the level of craft and precision that she's that she's brought to this. Um, she's mm -hmm. just, she's just absolutely crushing it. And like, um, so it just makes me happy because this is another thing that I've realized in a rehearsal that like, as much as the play is about taking care of each other and like being delicate with each other and choosing our words carefully, it's also about like, how not taking care of each other can be a form of taking care of each other and not going easy on each other at times. Right. And so I'm sort of seeing that play out in this process in a really beautiful way, basically. Mm, <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love yeah. that. Who do you who do you most want to see this play? Or like, I don't know, how do you think about that when you think about audiences coming in night after night? Yeah, I mean, the person I most want to see it is is my sister, Julia. Um, I have seven sisters, but directly above me in the order is Julia, who has Down syndrome. And like, I think just more than any other person in my life, she's the reason I'm a playwright. I, I think I've realized that lately. Mm -hmm. And the reason that that she is, not like she was like, well, I think you should be a playwright, but, <laughs> but just from a... <laughs> From a very the way she uses language is extremely specific, extremely delightful, profound. Um, it has like I, I would say like a genius to it. It's she's just like incredibly funny and incisive and at times like discursive, but mostly just like right 
on the fucking money and you know being her younger brother just kind of like trained me from a young age to pay really close attention to words and the way people use them down to like the smallest detail and so um anyway she's the person I most want to see it and then also like yeah. I do obviously want other people <laughs> with Down syndrome to see it too because I think that the work that Jamie is doing in this play is heroic and I want you know <laughs> I just want a conversation <laughs> to start specifically amongst people with Down syndrome about this new I, what I consider new ground to be broken that, that and what else is possible um and it's, it's important to state that Jamie was in another off-Broadway play that she was amazing in called Aiming the Orphans by Lindsay mm -hmm. Ferentino that that did you know do a, a lot of this work that I'm talking about the difference being I think that it was about sort of an older the the character Jamie was playing was from an older generation where people with Down syndrome were more routinely institutionalized and so the character's relationship to language and communication was very different than this character's and mm -hmm. um and that's a very important part of the history of Down syndrome to, to talk about but this character Ginny is someone who's just like in a, in a town in Texas just part of the community her entire life and lives in contemporary America and because I, I really didn't design it to be like a soapbox or an issue play you know it's like she's just like a part of the fabric of this world and this life and they're mm -hmm. all going through it but it also felt really important for it to be like a true ensemble and for the weight to be mm -hmm. you know evenly distributed amongst all four of these characters I remember you describing heroes as a fugue that like music is you've used it as a metaphor as like a structural sort of guide and music is a big part of this play. So like basically how did the music come to be and are you thinking of this play in any kind of like musical metaphor? Well, yeah, I'm so, yeah, that's a good question. There's this one little exchange in the play where, where someone is like, I don't like musicals and someone else is like, are you serious? <laughs> Grow up. <laughs> and that comes from like, this play is also very much about community. I'm a member of, you know, the New York theater community. And I <laughs> sometimes feel like there are like these two worlds. And there are a lot of people who move in between both worlds, but there's like not musicals and musicals, you know? <laughs> and I've always sort of been like, what's wrong with me? Like, why do I not respond to musicals except A Strange Loop? <laughs> and <laughs> um, it feels like there's like something got like, like, cut out of my heart at birth or something like what is wrong with me especially because like Julia loves musicals and so really that's that's where the music came from was was being like if I'm writing a play inspired by Julia it can't not have music in it and so then I really just tried to lean into that and the music that I'm drawn to like my favorite Musicians are people like um, Daniel Johnson or Bill Callahan or Wesley Willis or like people who just write from like this really raw, like bracingly raw place. It's often idiosyncratic, like not conforming to um, rousing melodies or like it's it's just rough around the edges, you know. And Julia loves like, I mean, I love pop too. I love all sorts of music, but Julia really loves like sleek pop you know she's like really a pop music fan so it was like okay well 
how would these two taste profiles ever like possibly find something together you know and and I think that there's lots of things that are underneath that too it's like personality it's like uh trauma and like what what we use music for like whether it's leaning into the pain or escaping from it or some combination of both you know there's just like so many different things that I think are at work when it comes to taste in general and um yeah so it was just like a you know scary personal challenge for myself like how do I have a play with music that feels like real and earned and like me and also honoring my sister's taste and um so yeah then we found someone who is truly one of my favorite musicians Joanna Sternberg who I think is like the most exciting songwriter since Daniel Johnston and then we found out that they live literally across the street from Playwrights Horizons which felt like amazingly right for what this play is about which is a localism in a way and like living across the street from each other and you know that just felt such an amazing uh, coincidence convergence and it's just been this totally new experience for me that really I think mirrors like the action of the play it's been hard for its own reasons but kind of in this like eerie way that really um yeah again feels threaded into the same way that it's hard for the characters in the in the play and it's just awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I I think it's going to turn out like better than I could have ever hoped for in the music department <laughs> and that's the other thing if there's one person besides Julia who I want to see it, it's Hilary Duff. <laughs> so this goes out to you, Hilary. Opening Please night. Come see my play. <laughs> yeah. We got it. We're going to tag her and everything. Oh, no, I just have to say, like, that song, Come Clean, makes an appearance in the play. And the lyrics for that song are, like, some of the most mysterious and baffling lyrics <laughs> that, I've, that I've ever encountered. Like, I, I dare you to try to find the, the logic in, the, in those lyrics, but... <laughs> then if you if you apply it to the action that we're talking about like the circle of gift giving and like the way that like the gift leaves all boundary and circles into mystery then suddenly come clean by Hilary Duff makes a lot more sense and it's just like <laughs> she's singing about a circle I forgot yeah Jonathan square into a circle was a lie oh it's just a shot man it's okay. too good oh my god um so yeah, and, and I mean, now being in this stage of the process, you, you're you so close to tech and to going into previews. Is mm -hmm. it, <laughs> yeah, how, how, are you, how are you feeling about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I feel really inside all of it, which it, it's like, yeah. a, as I'm talking, I'm like, whoa, I'm just like deep in it right now. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel really excited to share it with people. I mean, there's still a lot to figure out, but I, I, I just feel like, you know, our first performance, no matter what, by that time, we're going to have something really unique and wonderful to, to share with people. And um, yeah, I just can't wait to get into the theater and, and start really seeing it, you know, but already it's just amazing what all four of mm -hmm. these actors are doing. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. 